Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Today, we have a frequent guest on our program, and that would be the Honorable Dale Falwell, who is serving as North Carolina's 28th treasurer, state of North Carolina's treasurer. And uh, uh, we've got lots of things to talk about because the economic situation has certainly changed. And if any of our departments is uh, affected by the talk of inflation and or recession, it would be the treasurer's office. So, uh, First of all, uh, Treasurer Falwell, thank you for being with us, and uh, let's just jump right into it. Let's talk about what happens to your office when we have periods of inflation. Well, Don, thank you for having me, and uh, and thank your listeners for making the choice uh, to listen to this. And I go all over the state, Don, where uh, people come up to me and say they uh, get really good information from uh, newsmakers and so I appreciate the format where people can actually be informed, not just be affirmed about these important topics. <clears throat> so uh, starting with your question about inflation, uh, let's be clear that inflation is a thief. It's especially a thief to lower and fixed income individuals who don't really have anything that will inflate or go up in value. Uh, we just had reports this morning <clears throat> of the highest uh, inflation numbers, Don, since uh, you and I were in high school almost. And uh, you know, this is very serious business. And as the keeper of the public purse, I'm obviously concerned about the impact it has on our citizens, but uh, I'm also uh, concerned about the increased cost of things to run the state government. I don't know if your listeners think about it in this context, but you know the biggest business in this state is the state itself. And uh, so anytime you have inflation, the cost of everything of running the state goes up. I do have a little silver lining about all this. Uh, number one is the state debt of North Carolina is going to fall 60% over an eight year period. Five of those years, Don, are already in the rearview mirror and three of those years are in the windshield. So when people say, are we gonna be able to are we going to be uh, be borrowing money at these high interest rates? We're actually retiring debt. And the silver lining is that, as you know, we have about $45 billion, that's billion dollars, nearly twice the state budget, sitting in things that earn interest. So the silver lining is that as these interest rates have gone up, our earnings on the pension plan associated with things that earn interest have gone up dramatically over the last 15 months. So uh, it's like the old Neil uh, Simon song from the Kodachrome album. You remember that album? Uh, one man's ceiling is one man's ceiling is another man's floor. Well, and uh, it, it just changes the way we think. And sometimes there's a period of adjustment where uh, we all have to, as individuals, have to change our own goals. Because on one hand, people who have uh, CDs and fixed income things, they're going to be making a little bit more money. On the other hand, things are going to cost a little bit more. So they they probably come out okay. Uh, but uh, so now we also got another word that we uh, is being talked about, uh, and, and that word is the recession word. Mm -hmm. But almost everyone mm -hmm. I talk to, and I'm anxious to hear what you have to say about that, says that one, if we have a recession in North Carolina, it's going to be a mild one. If we have a recession, it'll probably be highly localized because there's some areas like the Wally area and the uh, 
uh, Charlotte area and the Triangle area that are uh, have so much construction going on that uh, that will probably soften uh, any effects that the recession might bring. I don't think we've ever had a recession where we have so many jobs open. I mean, usually jobs uh, are not to be had during recession periods, but right now we have hundreds and hundreds of good jobs available. Uh, most people are looking to hire people and can't find people. So having said all that, <laughs> I'd be interested in what the expert says, and that would be you. Let's uh, let's try to take your question in a, in a couple of different directions. Uh, number one is that uh, you and your listeners know that we are still facing an employment crisis. And when I say the an employment crisis, <clears throat> you know, for most of our lifetimes, Don, we've driven down the road and we've seen a sign that says uh, help wanted, apply inside. Now we're seeing signs that say we hire immediately. Those are the signs that we're seeing. In terms of the recession, uh, I, I would say if I were stepping back and not actually uh, talking to you that, you know, places like Curtis Media would be a leading indicator uh, because of uh, ad revenues and things of that nature that would uh, that would point you toward whether there was a, uh, a recession coming or not. Uh, I will tell you that this is very awkward. Uh, we are facing uh, and could face stagflation, a word that has not been talked about since you and I were in high school. Uh, and to define that term for your listeners, stagflation is where you have a stagnant economy, but the price of things are going up. And it's the worst of all worlds. And that's why the stock and the bond market have been so incredibly uh, punished this year. Uh, and it's the first time both of those markets have been punished in the, this way in the last 45 years. And so we could end, we are in a recession. <laughs> if you look at how people normally define recession, uh, but, and oftentimes, Don, you know, people that you listen to and, and know, they use this word transitory. Let me tell you, when you don't have a job or when you're underemployed or <clears throat> when you used to get four baskets of uh, four bags of food at the grocery store and now you can only get two, when it's costing you more to fill up your gasoline tank and drive to work, uh, nothing's transitory about that. It's real. And that's why that uh, going back to the second part of the answer to my question is that we all know what the census data tells us about <clears throat> the strength of our economy especially in the torso, uh, meaning Asheville, uh, Mecklenburg, Triad, Triad, Triangle, uh, and the Wilmington area. Uh, but, you know, we want a, one North Carolina where it's not just the torso that's doing well, but we want the legs and the arms and the toes and the fingers of our state, which is considered rural North Carolina to do well also. So now, how does this affect the uh, investments in the uh, pension plan? Great question. We have uh, <clears throat> so many Curtis Media uh, listeners who have taught, who protected or otherwise served, who <clears throat> behind their health and their faith and their um, family, the two most important things in their lives are the safety and security of this pension plan and their health plan. And I want to report to them this morning that uh, they still are, they're still participating in one of the strongest, most secure pension plans in the United States, if not the world. Uh, that's the good news. Uh, we, for the fiscal year ended in June, we were down 7%. Uh, 
The Georgia pension plan was down 14%. Some of the other pension plans across the country are down double digits. Uh, we have lost more money since June, but uh, the fact is, is that, and I stand on the shoulders of the hardworking people at the investment management division, as well as all the previous state treasurers, Don, who you've had on your, this show, uh, Treasurer Kyle, Treasurer Moore, uh, <clears throat> obviously Treasurer Harlan Bowles, and maybe even Edwin Gill, going back to the beginning of your career. Uh, none of the treasurers of North Carolina have ever pretended to have a crystal ball or be able to predict the future or gamble with the hard-earned pension assets. So we continue to be very conserv conservatively managed. As I said earlier, uh, we're, this plan for the last 50 years has been 60-40 or 40-60 in terms of bonds and other types of investments that have risk. And uh, But these higher interest rates are they hurt our bond portfolio initially, but they're really helping it right now. Well, this again is one of those things where short-term investments now are paying more, and so that will offset some, I guess. Is that is that correct? It will, but as 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 we are enjoying that inside the pension plan, the people who are getting these pension checks are are suffering uh, because it's costing more to eat, more to heat, and more to drive uh, than ever before, and so that's why I say that. It's great for the solvency of the pension plan, uh, but once that check gets delivered to those who have taught protected or otherwise serve, uh, they're having to spend more for less. So now the General Assembly, when they consider their next budget, how do you think they will address these uh, these changes in the economy? Will there be sweeping changes or is our uh, present budget plan in pretty good shape? Next year is a, is a long session year, as you know, when they create the budget for the next biennium. And uh, what I hope they'll do is to take the root word of two words that your listeners hear all the time. And every time they hear these two words, it divides them. <clears throat> one is conservative and one is liberal. I hope the General Assembly takes the outlook that we have to figure out how to conserve. And that is the root word of conservative, is to figure out how to conserve, how to get more out of less. And for people like you and I, that can mean while we're brushing our teeth, we turn off the spigot. Uh, when we leave in the house for a few days, possibly we turn down the hot water heater. Uh, we put a sweater on instead of turning the furnace up. There's, we think about our trips before we do them. There's so many things that we can do individually to conserve. And by conserving, your listeners will be economically liberated. Uh, because every dollar that's not spent is a dollar that can be saved. And that savings dollar, especially when it earns these higher interest rates, can put them on a path toward economic freedom. Now, each year, of course, the General Assembly has to uh, look at uh, uh, salary increases. And of course, with inflation, there's going to be more uh, pressure on the General Assembly to increase uh, wages. Uh, will there be funds to do that? I oftentimes, uh, Don, wear a lapel pin that has NC on it, and uh, all your viewers, uh, listeners know what that stands for. It stands for nothing compares. Uh, what that means in the context of your question is that I wouldn't trade places with any other state treasurer uh, in the United States. And so when I say that to you, uh, it means that, as you know, we just got designated number one in the country for business outlook. 
the state debt is going to fall 60%, for example. But the other thing that it should mean to you, when I say nothing compares, is the fact that we are balanced our budget, established rainy day funds, have billions of dollars of surpluses. I was part of paying off a massive $2.7 billion unemployment debt about a, after the great financial crisis. So we do have the surplus uh, and the juice, so to speak, to do the things that you were just discussing. But once again, once that happens, uh, that reduces your flexibility to do other things that might result in keeping North Carolina economies growing the way that it is. Well, a lot of people, because the word rain is involved, think that the rainy day fund is for weather emergencies only, but it also can cover this type of a situation where funds may be shorted and uh, that uh, becomes a uh, rainy day bank account, I guess you might say. Well, you're exactly right. And, uh, you know, that's just another example where words matter. Uh, it could be a wind, a wind, a wind fund. Uh, it could be an active COVID fund. <laughs> Uh, but it's always referred to as a rainy day fund. And, and I, I think that's the right terminology because it's the, it's the terminology that people use in their everyday life. Our guest is Dale Falwell. He's the 28th treasurer of the state of North Carolina. And we'll be back with another segment after we take time out for these messages. So you stay tuned. One in three adults in America have prediabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Years 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living then has my mom. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Betty can't say that in reverse. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest this week, Dale Falwell. And uh, we've already talked about uh, two words, inflation and recession, in the first segment. We want to turn now to another thing that is always on everyone's mind, especially all of the state employees, and that's the state health plan. All of the state employees are very concerned about the state health plan. Uh, so... Give us an update on where we stand and uh, what is uh, likely to happen in the coming year. We continue to fight the health care cartel in North Carolina, Don. Uh, I know that's a very strong word for your listeners, especially if they're hearing it on Sunday morning. As I was, uh, when, when I started taking classes at Winston-Salem State and UNC Greensboro, ultimately I stuttered more than I do now and 
one of my professors uh, suggested that when I was struggling to find just the right word to go to the Webster's Dictionary or the Bible. Uh, cartel is defined in the Webster's Dictionary as an association which is formed to restrict competition and or raise prices. Healthcare now owns North Carolina, and now big Wall Street's owning healthcare because of the huge profit margins. Now, I want to be clear with your listeners that I'm not talking about the people that have saved my life, possibly your life, Don, and so many other lives. I'm not talking about the people who do the work of healthcare. I'm talking about these multi-billion dollar corporations who disguise themselves as nonprofits uh, and their multi-million dollar executives and lobbyists who run them. That's what I'm talking about in terms of the cartel. Now, why do I use the word cartel? Because uh, this particular cartel, and you're always thinking about a different type of product, let's think about the product of healthcare. This particular cartel controls the supply of their product through something called certificate of need. And the first three letters of those three words are pronounced con. Secondly, they control the quality of their product. Thirdly, the access to this product. Fourth is the price of this product. And lastly, they control whether they weaponize your credit score, punish you and break your kneecaps if you don't pay for this product. That is a cartel. You know, it's ironic that I used that word a few months ago in front of 200 FBI agents in Whitesville Beach, North Carolina at their convention. And uh, I'll tell you, when you use the word cartel in front of FBI agents, you better know what the heck you're talking about. And after I explained how this particular cartel works, they said, yep, it's a cartel. But it's not just the uh, big multi-billion dollar hospitals in North Carolina and their multi-million dollar executives and lobbyists. Uh, it's also about, you know, the prescription drug cartel, the insurance cartel. Uh, they're all cartels. And what ultimately happens is that people can't make ends meet, a term that you and I have heard all of our lives, making ends meet. And secondly, can't see themselves past their poverty, not because of the murderous invasion of Ukraine, not because of COVID, and not because of acts of God. They can't see themselves past their poverty uh, because of health care and health care billing. Uh, so what, uh, where does Congress fall into this, this game or this uh, situation we have? Because you hear them talk from time to time about doing things about prescription prices, uh, what uh, is likely to happen? What should happen? Well, the first thing that should happen is we need to have an honest discussion why people in other countries can buy drugs at a, a, a fraction of what we pay for drugs. Now, we don't need to have a political discussion or emotional discussion. We need to have a mathematical discussion. If part of that is built in with R&D, whatever it is, we need to have a mathematical discussion. Secondly, and I, I know it's a little bit inelegant to use this term, but basically the cartel has given the middle finger to both Congress and the presidents of the United States. I said presidents, President Trump and President Biden. President Trump initially issued an executive order to open up health care costs so that people would know what they're paying. President Biden came in and strengthened President Trump's order. And the Hospital Association and the Chamber of Commerce sued, the Hospital Association and the Chamber of Commerce sued both the previous and the current president of the United States over this executive order. They lost not once, but twice. And I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the sheet in front of me, 
But their uh, their press person said after they lost the second time, I'm paraphrasing, we don't think telling people what things cost lead them to make better decisions. Now, Don, and for others that are in your audience that are as old as you and I are, uh, today is uh, Senior Citizen Day at Harris Teeter. So if you want to buy your groceries and you want your 5% discount, uh, and you can't arbitrage this with Jason, by the way, you need to buy your own groceries, Don. Uh, you get a 5% discount. And my, why do I bring that up? I'm not trying to be silly. I'm not known for my silliness. I'm trying to bring it up as an example that we don't consume healthcare in the state. It consumes us. And if you give people the information, the tools, which by which determine the quality and the value of what they're getting, we'll be able to have healthcare costs go down. When the cost of something goes down, Don, as you know, the access to that goes up. And when the access of healthcare goes up because the costs go down, because the cost has gone down, that's better for our society. I noticed on my list of things that Jason has given me to prepare for the program, he's got something here that says savings for Medicare Advantage plans. Um, were you aware of him putting that on my list? No, I think I think it's a little sarcastic personally because he knows how old you and I are. So, uh, uh, you know, it's his sick sense of sick sense of sense. You know, when you stutter, you shouldn't say that sentence. Sick sense of humor. <laughs> so uh, I'll be 65 next year. I presume that you're already there. And uh, we're, so, we're so proud of our Medicare Advantage product. Uh, we have 150,000 people who teach, protect, and otherwise serve. Uh, 87% of them are on a Humana plan. And you're not going to believe this, Don, but the premium is zero to the member. $4 a month price to the dependent of the member, no cost to the taxpayer. That's a stunning contract. It's a five-year contract that has the potential of saving a billion dollars over a five-year period of time. No cost to the taxpayer, $4 a month cost to the dependent, no, and zero cost to the member itself. So we're very proud of our Medicare Advantage product. And any of you folks out there who have retired, taught, or otherwise served, who are on the state health plan, you're right in the middle of open enrollment currently. We hope that you will choose the Medicare Advantage Humana product uh, for 2023. Now, let me tell you why that's important. Uh, Don, that's a tip of the hat to Jason. Uh, there's too many people. There's too many Dons and Dales. He always likes his name to go first. There's too many Dons and Dales in, and not enough Jasons on the state health plan. So we need to lower the family premium so we can attract younger, healthier people uh, to the to our state health plan. And uh, our family premium is way too high and it's been too high for as long as I've been the treasurer. So uh, in this day and age of inflation, how, how difficult is that going to be to pull off? Uh, if the cartel will ever come to the table and accept a 100% profit. So your listeners heard me correctly. A nonprofit who will not accept 100% profit. If they were ever to come to the table, we'd be able to cut $300 million out of the cost of the health plan 
Otherwise, the General Assembly is going to appropriate $5 billion more money to the health plan over the next several years. And then result of that, if more people choose Humana Medicare Advantage and we're able to get concessions from these multi-billion dollar nonprofits who are run that by these multi-million dollar lobbyists and, and, uh, and directors and executives, uh, we would be able to have a solvent health plan and we would be able to lower premiums. Now, I don't drink, but in the in the days we grew up in, that means it could be it could taste great and be less filling. Um, Congress uh, has, uh, you know, this is an issue that comes up every time, but so many of the congressional races this year, you don't hear any of the candidates saying they're going to attack this problem. They, uh, of course, most of the ads are negative ads and they're, most of the candidates are saying what they, their opponent's not doing rather than what they will do. But uh, what can Congress do to facilitate uh, these changes that you're talking about and these improvements in the cost of medical care and costs? You know, I think what you know Congress can do is they can uh, be a part of the solution that actually attacks a problem don't, that doesn't attack people. Uh, I think your listeners are just tired and actually sick and tired. Uh, you know, when we come to talk about healthcare costs, uh, I'm just reminded of what Papa said when we were growing up. I can't stand it because I can't stand it no more. And, you know, people are no longer going to have 20% of their income going towards something they don't understand. So my point of saying that to you is that these ads that you see run all over, you know, tens, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of ads run all over the state. Uh, most of it is about attacking people. I think people are tired of that. Uh, they want to be spoken to like adults and what they hear needs to make common sense. And people don't really care what political party you're a member of. I'm a Republican who is a conservative, which means I conserve. And I think that by conserving, you can liberate people. I think people, when it comes to fixing their problems, just want somebody to simply fix their problems. Well, it is confusing when you get bills from the insurance company that uh, essentially say, you know, this procedure costs ten a uh, hundred dollars, and your insurance company paid eighty, and you owe zero because you're wondering what happened to that other twenty dollars. Uh, very often, you get these kind of bills. Um, how? How do you explain that? Uh, I explain that it's very predictable. The cartel has spent 45 years building up this shroud of secrecy. That's why the previous President Trump, that's why previous President Trump and current President Biden both issued executive orders to get rid of these secret contracts. Uh, they don't want you to know what you're paying because that would then put the power back in your hands and not their hands. And that's exactly why I say the things I say about these multi-million dollar executives and these uh, multi-million dollar lobbyists who work for them and who represent the cartel. And once again, we're not talking about the actual healthcare workers. And at the end of the day, uh, we have enough money we're spending in this state on healthcare. We should be able to do it uh, better, more efficiently, on, especially on behalf of those that teach, protect, and serve. But we can't do that when the cartel controls the supply of this product, the quality of this product, the access to this product, and the price of this product, and whether they will weaponize your credit score if you don't pay for this product. So uh, right now, 
the, how many people are covered by the state health plan? How many employees are actually covered? Well, with only a minute to go, I'll tell you, 750,000. My wife says, always put things in context. If you have the, all the domestic employees for Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, JP Dim- Jamie Morgan's JP, Jamie Diamond's JP Morgan, and Jeff Bezos' Amazon United States, that's about the size of the state health plan. That's stunning altogether. That's the size of one state health plan, nearly 750,000 people who have taught, protected, or otherwise served and their dependents. And they've been promised this uh, this protection. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, interesting, and thank you for bringing us up to date on where we stand on the state health plan. When we come back, uh, we're going to shift to the hospital trust, uh, the highway trust fund, and and the North Carolina pension, and we'll do that with our guest, the treasurer of the state of North Carolina, Dale Falwell. And we'll be right back right after these messages, so you stay tuned. Who said that? Me, down here. What are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it, unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, the treasurer of the state of North Carolina, Dale Falwell, who's been with us a number of times. He was a four-term member of the North Carolina House, uh, including two years as Speaker Pro Tem. And then he uh, then went to the uh, uh, become the Assistant Secretary of Commerce, which handled the Employment Security Commission. Um, and uh, which was in a mess when he took it over, and he brought that out. And then he, of course, became the 28th treasurer of the state of North Carolina. Uh, now, we, we said we were going to talk about the Highway Trust Fund. The word trust is sort of a, an interesting word because the Highway Trust Fund has not always been very trusty. Well, you're exactly right. And uh, I believe, uh, if my memory is correct, that uh, when I was sworn into office, the Highway Trust Fund of North Carolina, had $1.65 billion in it. And within 14 months, not only had the North Carolina Department of Transportation overspent their budget by, in our estimation, almost $2 billion, in the state alters estimation about at least $800 million, uh, 
And then on top of that overspending, they eviscerated the highway trust fund and brought it down to $100 million. So uh, I've been working with Secretary Boyette, uh, who reports to the governor, uh, to try to get uh, good governance, competency, and transparency in not only the highway trust fund, but uh, the DOT in general. I think your listeners are getting pretty tired of riding down a road that's getting repaired and they just have good memories and just remember two years ago, they were riding down the same road for the same repairs. Uh, we have to get more out of our DOT dollars uh, and uh, and especially as it relates to, to the gasoline tax and, and the highway trust fund. And let's also talk about, uh, as we tr- I always try to talk about in every one of my segments, Don, uh, let's not talk about the people who are driving the Lexuses. I have an old Lexus, you have an old Lexus. Uh, let's talk about the people who work in one, two, and three jobs. Uh, you know, they deserve good highways and they deserve efficient highways because every every minute wasted on a highway is, means a lot to them marginally, you know, from an income standpoint. And uh, the reason that I sound the, the alarm on the DOT is that I think that the taxpayers, the road vendors, the people actually do the road construction, uh, as well as the uh, the road users, uh, deserve a, a solvent, sustainable uh, DOT. So that's just some of the uh, issues that we have found at the North Carolina Department of Transportation over the last a few years, and. Part of that was manifested in, this, uh, in the fact that the highway trust fund was eviscerated. And uh, so it had not really been touched for 16 years. So let's talk, that's 9-11, that's the great financial crisis. And then all of a sudden for the whole fund to be eviscerated is something that was deeply concerning to me, but Secretary Boyette's putting more money back into the highway trust fund and I, I applaud his and his team's effort for doing that. Well, I understand that uh, things have changed dramatically and changed for the better. Is that your assessment also? It is. And, you know, when I first sounded the alarm on the DOT, uh, nobody believed me. Uh, obviously, the governor didn't believe me. The uh, Some of the lead people in the General Assembly didn't believe me. And sometimes people just say, well, Treasurer, why do you believe that? And I said, because they're writing checks they can't cash. That there's not there's, the money's not there. They don't know who they owe. Uh, their definition of a payable is a lot different than Curtis Media's definition of a payable or the treasurer's office definition of a payable. A payable is what you owe somebody, not whether you have the ability to pay, but what you owe. And but uh, finally, I kept uh, sounding this alarm. It got, kept getting worse and worse and worse. I called for the uh, governor to fire his secretary of transportation, uh, which is, I believe, probably the most coveted cabinet position that a governor has next to some other important cabinet positions. Uh, And ultimately that happened. And then the uh, chief financial officer, because of some of the financial things that we were seeing at the DOT, and eventually that happened. And and then the chief operating officer. So, uh, uh, I applaud the governor for uh, understanding that this, these uh, getting rid of these people for me was not emotional or political. It was it was mathematical. We were basically on an unsustainable course, and the DOT has actually maxed out its credit card for the last ten years. Even though the state debt's falling sixty percent, the DOT debt's uh, credit card is pretty much maxed out. So uh, this is all h- horrific. 
uh, when we're dealing with higher interest rates and, and higher construction costs. So it puts all these problems, uh, makes them harder to solve. Another job that you have is the uh, government, uh, local government commission. And uh, now is it, we've got uh, school bond issues in uh, a number of counties, Guilford, Durham, Union, Watauga, or four that come to mind, maybe there's some more. Uh, now, that, what uh, will the rate of interest come into play here uh, when they're borrowing money now? Will they be borrowing it at what rate and what is that rate based on? Well, it's based on what the market will, will it be willing to sell long-term tax-free bonds to these uh, school districts. Uh, you know, we're still looking, <clears throat> depending on what your bond rating is, we're still looking at a tax-free rate of somewhere between two and three quarters and and uh, and and three and a half percent for for tax-free paper. Uh, that's very important uh, because uh, any interest, any dollar of interest that's inefficiently spent on a school bond uh, because of a higher interest rate is a is a is a is a dollar that can never be spent on a water fountain or uh, a light bulb in a school. So uh, these higher interest rates are not good. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, uh, talk recently about the Guilford County school bond referendum. We we did not vote on that initially because of questions I had. And I think no matter what political party you're a member of in Guilford County, and you know, I'm a Robbins, a Reddick, a Falwell, and a, and a Scott from Guilford County, all four sides. Uh, I don't care what political party you're a member of, you, you like people who are willing to, to ask the right questions and, and move forward. So as far as the school bonds are concerned, uh, we we get very uh, very concerned about uh, about interest rates, and um, and that's why we asked all the tough questions about Guilford County. And let me just say something about the Guilford County bonds. Uh, Skip Austin, Chair Austin, you know him, I believe. Uh, he was at the LGC meeting a couple of weeks ago, and he uh, I've asked him a question: Isn't this massive $1.7 billion of school bonds, the result of uh, deferred maintenance and things that you should have done in the last 28 years. He basically said yes. And I said, we gave you Guilford County nearly $300 million a couple of years ago. How much of that's been put on the street? Uh, just a small percentage. And what are the cost overruns on that? 50%. So, you know, if you put $300 million, give them $300 million a couple of years ago, they've only put a fraction of that on the street. And then the cost overruns are massive. Just think what's going to happen with $1.7 billion. And then on top of that, this was uh, fairly, uh, uh, more firmly uh, uh, was important uh, because they kept talking about how they're going to pay for this. So, Don, I hope your listeners are still with me. On the same day this year, the voters of Guilford County voted down the sales tax increase that was going to be partially used to pay for the school bonds that they voted up. So they voted down the funding, but voted up the issuance of the debt. Uh, you know, very passive aggressive there as far as the voters are concerned. And so that resulted in them having to raise uh, property taxes, but they called it rate neutral. I think your listeners are going to be appalled when they hear, you know, rate neutral means nothing. 
The fact is, are you paying more out every year for property taxes for the same house that you live in? Yes or no? And we found out through more investigation that even though the rate was neutral, they went up on the value of the house, which for some people resulted in almost an 18% of property tax increase. That is very uh, problematic for me. I think that uh, for some of our citizens in Guilford County and all across the state, uh, I don't know what their income tax situation is, but probably the two biggest taxes they pay are the property tax and sales tax. And, you know, my other uh, concerning part is that I am always in favor of putting especially elderly people in a position where they can stay in their homes as long as possible. Uh, I think that's good for their health. I think it's good for their families. And I think it's good for our society, especially with the cost of nursing home being what it is. So anytime you go up on somebody's property taxes, you put them a little less, they're a little less able to do what I've just set out as a, what I think is a, a good goal. Well, you're absolutely right. There's two uh, factors involved in how much property tax you pay. One is the evaluation of the property and the other is the rate. And uh, if either goes up, you've had an increase. If both go up, you've had a double increase. Five after five. Five yes. after five. Yeah, so. that's, exact, that's exactly right. And I'm sorry for the delay. Um, and uh, as I said earlier, this is a definitely an uh, impact on lower fixed income people. So uh, that, uh, I, I want to get away from the bond issues right now and move over to the state bond rating, because uh, right now we don't uh, we have a very favorable bond rating. Uh, what is that uh, rating and, and are we likely to be able to maintain our bond rating? Uh, our bond rating is uh, is triple A uh, and it's called triple triple A. So it's Fitch's, Standard Poor's and Moody's. Uh, but once again, the, I'm reporting to your uh, the, uh, listeners that the state debt is going to be falling 60%. Uh, we're not in the bond market borrowing more money where this rate is a, a, a rating is important. But, you know, let's, let's, let's be clear with your listeners. Many of them heard three months ago, we got designated number one in the country uh, by CNBC for business outlook and business activity. So, you know, Part of that is built on the fact that this General Assembly, especially for the last 12 years, has balanced its budget, built surpluses, established rainy day funds. And the importance of that is that that's what resulted in us being number one in the country. And uh, and part of that is based on the fact that we have a triple, triple, triple A bond rating. And of course, all of that plays into the fact that uh, so many people now are selecting the move to North Carolina with high paying jobs. And uh, uh, this is, uh, uh, of course, uh, very good for the citizens as a whole, because that raises the tax basis when you have uh, more people working and being paid more money. And you may not think about this as a little bit leap in logic. It's also great for law enforcement. You know, when people are gainfully employed, they typically get in less trouble. When they're gainfully employed, they have health insurance. So when they need health uh, services, they're able to afford them. So it's not just about the tax revenue. It's about the fact that uh, I think the demands on law enforcement are lower as a result of this. Well, it's something we've been proud of for years. That state bond rating has always been good. 
and it probably goes back, as you said, to Harlan Boyles and, and people, your predecessors who have always treasured that bond rating and have, have done whatever is necessary to keep that in fact. Right. And uh, we certainly what you do in that regard as well. Um, we're going to take a break here in just a moment. When we come back, we want to talk about uh, uh, fighting fraud, because anytime there's fraud, it's uh, robbing the citizens who are paying in, both in the pension plan and also in disability overpayments. And we're going to talk about the unclaimed cash account that uh, I understand is now going to set a record this year of returning some $120 million to people who uh, have funds that, uh, for some reason or other, have ended up in the hands of the state because uh, whoever had the funds uh, knew it didn't belong to them, but belonged to someone but couldn't find them. We'll talk about that and other things when we return with our final segment of, of uh, Carolina Newsmakers with our very special guest, Treasurer Dale Falwell. You stay tuned. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers, our final segment this week. Our guest is the 28th Treasurer of the State of North Carolina, Dale Falwell. We've talked about inflation in the first segment and recession. We've talked about the state health plan. We've talked about the highway trust fund. We've talked about the North Carolina pension and management fees. And so we've talked about quite a number of things. If you have missed those segments and would like to hear a repeat of that, you can go online to Carolina Newsmakers. In this segment, we want to talk about uh, your continued interest in fighting fraud because that's actually robbing the good, hard-paying citizens of North Carolina who are uh, running our government with their taxes and such. Uh, so bring us up to date on uh, your latest efforts in fighting fraud in the pension system and the disability overpayments. Well, thank you. You know, fighting fraud in the pension system is uh, is never going to go away. Uh, when you manage one of the largest pools of public money in the world, there's always going to be the potential of fraud. Uh, I want to mention to your uh, listeners, I did this in the earlier segment, that even though we managed $248 billion, uh, nearly a million people on this pension plan, uh, we always focus on the number one. 
if one person is getting a pension check that doesn't deserve it, that's one too many. And if one person who deserves a pension check is not getting it properly, that's also one too many. Uh, we're spending, including the healthcare and pharmaceutical spend, Don, we're spending nearly $800 million every 30 days. That doesn't go for school buses or tires or fuel. That's just for pension, healthcare, and pharmaceutical benefits uh, on behalf of those that teach, protect, and otherwise serve. So it's uh, it's very important what we what we do here. Uh, the fraud comes to us in all different ways. Uh, you may have read recently the some of the situations that we're facing in a little community called Spring Lake. Uh, for your listeners, that is literally between Fayetteville, Fort Bragg, and Pinehurst. There's no reason for a community between Fayetteville, Fort Bragg, and Pinehurst not to be economically viable. And uh, the reason that's important is that uh, uh, I, the state altar went into Spring Lake a year or so ago and found nearly $500 million of money been embezzled from that little town of Spring Lake. And so uh, here we have a state treasurer who's a Republican, state altar who's a Democrat, a U.S. attorney. Uh, Easley Jr., uh, who came together three weeks ago and got an arraignment and a guilty plea of this person who embezzled this money. So my point of saying that to you is that with all the discourse that's going on in our society right now, where people are being split by political party and gender and race, uh, this is a, a little sign of sunshine of uh, how people from different political parties different state agencies working together with somebody at the federal uh, level uh, to get to the right outcome on behalf of, of Spring Lake. You know, most of that money will never be recovered. You know, 150,000 of that money went to the forgers, uh, the finance person's uh, mother's nursing home bill and even put her name on the memo line. So uh, we're always constantly fighting fraud on prescription drugs, healthcare, the pension system, and I sort of rambled there a little bit, and I apologize, but why is that important to your listeners? And the reason it's important is that until somebody is convicted of a fraud in their public service duties, we cannot go in and do the felony forfeiture on their pension. There's nothing that ticks your listeners off more, Don, than to have somebody who's embezzling money from them and earning a pension credit every day that they do that. So, uh, that's why we're so uh, evangelical about uh, chasing fraud. And I'm so fortunate to have a partner like uh, State Auditor Beth Wood, who sees eye to eye on these types of issues. Well, you also have the case of disability overpayments, which is the same thing as fraud. It is fraud. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, all those cases of disability are, are, uh, are ticklish. and uh, but, you know, the point is, is that uh, we would rather people not be disabled. That's what we'd rather not. And uh, but fortunately, we do have a disability plan when that happens. You know, we talked about the pension and disability, and it gives me an opportunity in this last segment uh, to tell your listeners. And I, I, I say this as elegantly as I can. People don't call the treasurer's office to book a cruise. They call the treasurer's office because they've had a life-changing event. And most of those life-changing events are blessings. You get a job with the state, you retire from a job from the state. You get a job with the state, you get married, and you change your beneficiary. Uh, 
You get married, sometimes you get divorced and you change your beneficiary again. Uh, you lose a spouse. Uh, you have children, a blessing. Uh, the children uh, most of the time grow to be 26 and you have to take them off the state health plan because they've aged out. You see my reasoning for saying that, uh, Don, that people don't call us to book a cruise. They call us because they've had a life-changing event. And most of these life-changing events are blessings, uh, but we also have, in being the check delivery business, we have to deliver checks like uh, Deputy Bird and Fisherman and others most recently uh, that are uh, that are not blessings at all. So our job here as keepers of the public purse is to preserve, strengthen, and sustain not only this pension plan and this health plan for the next generation of public service workers, but also turn down the temperature from a customer service standpoint when people uh, do have these life-changing events. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, all people want is for somebody to talk to them like adults and what they hear that makes common sense. Uh, the unclaimed cash is on track to uh, set a record this year. Uh, uh, this is something you've been pushing for a long time because this money doesn't belong to the state. It belongs to the people whose names are on it. And uh, you still have quite a lot of money in that fund that has not found its rightful owner. Let's talk a little bit about that and how people can check to be sure. Because every time I check, either me or one of my companies always has some amount of money there. And it's interesting because we think we keep up with it. Well, but uh, to give you a little confidence today that you're not losing it. Uh, since we, for the last two years, we've taken in another $400 million. So when people <laughs> say I checked it and I, I, I got what it was owed me, they need to go check it again. We've taken in over the $400 million in the last two years. So just because you checked it once upon a time doesn't mean you don't, shouldn't check it again. And as you correctly point out, whether it's you or Curtis Media or your employees, it's just shocking what people find. I, I think there's a whole group of people in North Carolina that get up at 3 o'clock in the morning just because it's a kind of an addictive thing. So uh, all your listeners, as another valuable reason to uh, tune into Newsmakers on Curtis Media, all your listeners should go there and check their name, their maiden name, kids, parents, grandparents, church. It's nearly a million dollars that belongs to churches. There's 64 Rotary Clubs that have money in NC Cash. There's over 50 school systems that have money in NC Cash. Uh, it's check all those names. Your Little League baseball team, the High Times baseball team, High Point Thomasville, had $10,000 in NC Cash. We just gave tens of thousands of dollars to a humane society, uh, $12,000 to March of Dimes. So you should check your name, maiden, kids, parents, church, nonprofit, as well as your business name. And uh, the four things that your listeners need to remember, number one is it's public record and it stays there forever. When you go to nccash.com, if you don't see my face and you'll know my face because uh, Don Curtis says, I have a face for radio. So if you go to nccash.com and you don't see a face for radio, uh, you're probably at the wrong uh, website. Uh, so nccash.com, and there'll be a great big old search button. You just hit search on the search button and push in. If you put in Curtis, you're going to get a lot of Curtises. If you push in Fallwell, you're not going to get too many Fallwells, and uh, you'll be shocked. Second thing to remember is it stays there forever. 
The third thing is that there's no charge to look up your name and no charge to make a claim. And the lastly, there's probably a chance that somebody listening to your newscast is from another state. Every state has the equivalent of nccash.com. And I think you should go to some of the other states you may do business with in Don and check your name, Curtis Meeting. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. And of course, you know, a lot of these things are situations like, uh, let's say when you were born, your dad bought a thousand dollar life insurance policy, but uh, through the years uh, it was lost and people forgot it. And uh, of course the insurance company didn't have a current address and so forth. I mean, a lot of this is where people are trying to get the money to the right people, but don't have the right address and can't return it. So they return it to the state of North Carolina who, as you've said, has his responsibility to hold the money until the proper person claims it. But it can happen, and it can happen right under your nose. And uh, you paid out, what, $120 million this year alone? Uh, that's right. And, you know, there's an official word for this. And you you advised me as a stutterer not to say this word on the air because I may get in, not get invited back. So you tell them what the official word is of this fund. I'm going to let that one go too, because I have trouble with it also. Okay. <laughs> but it, All right. uh, Jason, it starts well, with an E, but it sounds like it starts with an S. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. E-S-C-H-E-A-T-S. Yes. Yes. That's, that's how you spell it. Easily misunderstood. Uh, right. Now, what should we be watching for in the next, uh, we've got about a minute and a half here. What should we be watching for as far as things that could change things, uh, things that uh, legislation that may be on the docket right now, either on the federal level or the state level? Uh, what are the things we should be watching for? Uh, what you should be watching for, especially over the next few weeks in this political season, is people who speak to you like adults and, and what you hear makes common sense. Uh, you know, you're not going to agree with everybody on every subject, uh, but you know, try to find somebody to vote for, uh, not somebody to vote against. Uh, on the ec economic side, uh, you need to figure out how you can serve in your life. But as I said earlier, the water heater or the turning off the water when you're taking a uh, brushing your teeth, uh, planning your trips, those are all things that people can individually do. Obviously, take advantage of your buy one, get one free coupons. And if you're as old as Don and I are, uh, you can go to Food line on Wednesdays or Harris Tier on Thursdays and get your senior citizen discount. Uh, and just have be grateful with all the anxiety in our world. There's still a lot to be grateful for. That's good advice from Dale Falwell, the state treasurer and a frequent guest on our program. I'd like to remind you that if you uh, uh, are just joining us late in the program and would like to hear the entire broadcast again, you can go online the carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. Uh, there are four segments, and a lot of the stations only carry a half-hour version, so there are two segments that you folks did not hear, and those segments are segmented also, and you can hear just those. Our program has been produced each week, as it is, by Jason Cog, and he has promised us a guest of interest again next week. So until next week, on the same group of stations all across North Carolina, we wish for you and yours to have a great week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. 
Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.